This is Parahan, and you are listening to the Parahan Show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Parahan. Join me for a creepy evening. What's up, everybody? It is your host, Parahan, and we've got a show for you today. You're going to want to stick around and hear this. We are going to start off with some amazing Bigfoot encounters. And then we're going to talk about our night at possibly the most haunted house in America. And we're going to end with Ukraine, Russia war. Is there a UFO connection? So as I said, please stay tuned. If you haven't already, hit the like and subscribe button. I'm going to drop a link below so you can actually watch our night at the most haunted house in America. Well, Bigfoot, right? We haven't heard too much in the news about Bigfoot lately. And I feel like that's one of the paranormal entities that gets left out of the discussion. We're talking about UFO disclosure, but not Bigfoot disclosure. When there is a lot of Bigfoot evidence out there. Now, what I'm about to tell you are true stories. These are cases that I investigated personally and am sharing with you today. And these are stories that for the first time, many people will be hearing. Now, the first story that I'm about to tell you is just really crazy, really insane. Uh, So many years ago, I had spoken with a retired law enforcement officer who served for 15 years in a small town up in northern Wisconsin. And he said there was one call that he got that changed his life. Now, this law enforcement officer, he uh, seemed very believable, seemed very authentic and very credible. And I'm inclined to believe the story. Um, So as the story goes, he spent some time as an officer up in the northern woods of Wisconsin, as I said. And one night he had gotten a call to respond to a small hunting cabin out in the woods. And he said, you know, he had gone on these calls before, but basically dispatch had called him in and said, Hey, um, there was an alarm that went off at this cabin. There could be a potential break-in. So he headed out to this cabin and he said he wasn't really concerned because the majority of these calls were usually a faulty um, security system or potentially an animal had somehow gotten into the property and, and caused the security alarm to go off so he wasn't really worried and thought it's probably just going to be nothing you know something of the above so he heads out to this property and this is a pretty secluded area nothing else is around and this is an area specifically for hunting and a lot of hunters come to this cabin it's rented out to them for weeks at a time And they go there and hunt on the land. And I believe he said there was over like 123 acres 
or so surrounding this property. So when he pulls up to the cabin, he notices that there are lights turned on. So immediately he's thinking, okay, not an animal, probably not the alarm, you know, uh, messing up. They're potentially someone in this cabin. So he draws his weapon and proceeds with caution to the front door. Front door was wide open, screen was closed, and he could see directly into the cabin. He proceeds to open the screen door and enter the cabin. And that's when he said he noticed this very foul smell that he said he could only describe as a combination of a skunk and a wet dog. And it was so putrid, it almost made him vomit. And also, he noticed as he entered the front area of this cabin, which was sort of a living room type area, that there was everything in this cabin had been ransacked. And he said there was a couch that had been broken into two and was into two pieces as something had ripped this thing apart into two pieces there were pictures that were broken in half the the it looked he said as if someone had released a angry bull into this property and just let it loose and it tore hell through this cabin and he said also he noticed that there were several claw marks on into the drywall digging in a couple inches into the drywall actually and penetrating through the drywall into the two by fours behind the wall and so he started to think maybe this is potentially a um, black bear and now he's thinking maybe i'm about to encounter a trapped couple hundred pound animal that's afraid and potentially very dangerous so he proceeded to take a lot of precaution and took the corners very slowly and that's when at the end of this cabin there was a kitchen area and he heard something moving and rustling around so he proceeds to this back area to this kitchen and as he turns down the hall and enters into the kitchen turned around he notices this hairy humanoid creature sort of hunched over eating raw meat that had been left behind by some of the hunters some raw venison and he said that this thing had long thick fur and it was a sort of a, a dark brownish reddish color and it covered its whole body and he could see that this thing had very long sharp claws like a bear and stood almost like a human hunched over and that's when this thing turned around and moved towards him and him being afraid for his life he fired upon this creature the creature then proceeded to turn and then ran to the back door knocked open the back door i mean ripped the door off completely and went out the back door and took off into the woods. And 
He said that he noticed this creature when it looked at him. It had almost kind of a human face, but it was very um, sort of curved and thick. And, and the nose kind of was very girthy and pointed out. And that this thing had bright yellow eyes, not just yellow eyes, but bright yellow eyes that were almost just piercing as this thing glared at him. And he noticed that that smell was very strong in that kitchen and resonated with this creature. So after this creature had taken off into the woods, he thought it would be a bad idea to pursue it, um, not knowing exactly what this was. So he goes back to his patrol car and he radios into dispatch. And that's when he tells dispatch, you know, I've encountered some sort of strange animal in this cabin uh, and I really need backup right now. I don't know what this is, if there's more, but this is a very tense situation. I need backup immediately. So he waits in his patrol car with the door lock thinking, okay, some, some backup's going to show up. But then all of a sudden, some military vehicles start showing up to the property and a guy who looks like he's in charge and and a high-ranking officer or something, comes out of the vehicle, goes up to the officer and says, okay, we want you to get out of here. We're taking over the scene from here. And he says, well, it's just some sort of animal or something. Like, what? why, why would the military be here? And he said, look, um, you don't need to ask questions. I need you to get out of here. Go back to your station, and we will be there later to talk with you about what happened. And so not wanting to defy their orders, he left and went back to the station, which he thought was really strange because he had never seen uh, any sort of military response in the area, especially to just some sort of animal sighting. And he was surprised at how fast they had made it there. And it was almost like they already knew that this creature was there so he waits back at the station and he talks uh, eventually he's waiting at the station and a officer and and two soldiers show up to the um, station and they tell this officer that they needed to speak with him and go over what had happened that night. So he proceeded to tell them and they questioned him, asking him if he knew more than what he was saying. And then it was really weird because the next thing was they started asking him, are you going to tell anybody about this? Are you going to talk to anybody about this? Do we have to be worried about you going and telling the news or telling anybody or speaking of this? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, we, we take a case file, we write it down, you know, and then it's it's handled through here. We don't go and, and talk about it unless there's a request for this information or something like that. But that's not normally our policy. That's not how we do things around here. So the uh, officer said, you know, um, I feel like uh, this... I don't understand why you're interrogating me here. You know, I just happened to stumble upon this 
thinking I was going to find a break-in or something. And here this is, you know, now I'm kind of uh, brought into this whole thing and I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I would rather just be done with it and that's it. You know, I'm not going to talk to anybody, but I feel like, you know, you're basically interrogating me and I don't feel comfortable with this. So they told him once again, they said, do not talk about this. We don't want to hear anymore. We're taking, you know, uh, he had filed a report. They said, we're taking the report you filed. Uh, any evidence you've collected, we're taking that. And we don't want you to speak about this any further, even with your peers, anybody you work with. Do not talk about this anymore. And they were very adamant about that. So he uh, went home that night. And as he goes home, he started to feel very nauseous, very sick. And he said, you know, he just felt very um, nauseous, upset to his stomach and had a very bad headache and just didn't feel right. And he proceeded to go home and lay down. And over the next couple of days, he got very ill. And he actually had to take a week off from work. Because he did not feel right. And after a week, he finally got better. And he couldn't really describe this illness because it was like he didn't vomit. He, he you know, he didn't have signs of, of sort of uh, a sickness or anything. It was just, he felt very nauseous to his stomach and very, um, and had a headache. Um, so after a week of this sickness, this mysterious illness, he goes back to work and goes to report in for his shift. And that's when he goes to the doors. He says, I'm here to report in. And he's in the, at this um, station. He would often, you know, he would have to be let in by a door person who would buzz him in and allow him to go into the facility. But when he gets to the door, there's a new person working the front door who he's never seen before and he says hey uh, i'm here to report for my night shift you know can you buzz me in and they said excuse me who are you and he said you know i'm so and so and they said well you we don't know who you are you don't work here and he said well yes i do work here and they said no no you don't work here and so he couldn't figure that out. And so he said, well, who's the, let me talk to the superior officer, the officer in charge. And um, so they go back and they get who he thought at the time was the chief. The chief comes back and it's another person, another guy that he's never seen before. And he explains to this officer that basically everybody at the station has been let go. And they've actually outsourced the jobs to um, some sort of agency that would be taking over the station temporarily until they hired uh, all new officers, which he thought was he couldn't understand this, what what had happened. And he said, well, what you know, why? Why was it about the encounter I had? And that's when the, the chief said to him. What encounter? You didn't have no encounter. We don't know what you're talking about. You need to leave. Get off the premises. And so he had left. And he had been with this uh, unit or whatever for 15 years. And 
after that, he decided to retire and not pursue a career in that anymore. And he said that affected him. He had nightmares about that night and still seeing that creature in his mind. And, you know, talking with him, this guy seemed very legitimate, seemed very realistic. Something had happened to him. And I'm very inclined to believe that he may have encountered Bigfoot. This uh, next story um, is quite personal because it happened to a friend of mine. Now, my friend is an avid outdoorsman, and he's a fisherman, hunter, and he spends a lot of time in the woods. So he's seen a lot of the different wildlife, the things you would encounter in nature uh, out in these woods. And he told me this story uh, many years back. He was on a hunting trip and he was on this huge um, acreage of land and had gone off on his own to a tree stand where there was a significant amount of deers that would come in this area. It was a good hunting area, I guess. And so he had gone out to this tree stand. And he spent most of the day hanging out in the tree stand. And it started to get dark. So he realized, okay, I need to get down, go back to camp, and uh, come back tomorrow. However, as he's sitting there in the tree stand, he notices this strange light in the sky. And it's almost coming down at an angle as if it was a meteor and he thought okay there's a meteor or something in the sky what is that strange light like coming down at an angle looking like it was about ready to crash into the ground well all of a sudden this light reverses course and actually changes to the opposite direction and then comes down off into some woods nearby and he's not sure what this is so he said oh you know that's strange uh, that's kind of weird and right after this light happens he starts hearing large movement through the woods and he said you know it sounded like something big was pushing through the wood line and was breaking branches and was making a lot of rustling and noise as it was coming through. And it was heading right towards his tree stand. So he said, you know, that's odd because the hunters that were there, they know the area very well. And they knew he was up in the tree stand. So they wouldn't come and approach him like that. They would actually call him before they would just come up on him. Because they knew he was actively hunting. So... He's thinking to himself, okay, what is this? Who is this? When the sound stops within about 20, 30 feet of the tree he's up in. And that's when he hears this blood-curdling yell, scream, whatever you call it, that almost reverberated off him up in the tree stand. And he said, you know, he knows foxes and coyotes and bears and things like that he's experienced some of the sounds that they do make 
and he's never heard anything like this in the woods before. And it almost put chills on his back when he heard this because this sounded different than anything he'd ever encountered before. And all of a sudden, something flies right past him up in the tree stand. And then another thing, another thing flies up past him in the tree stand. And that's when he realized sticks and rocks were being tossed up at him in the tree stand. So he's like, you know, what the hell's going on? Who's, who is throwing these objects at me? And then he starts hearing movement again, but he hears several places where these movement, this movement is taking place, meaning that something, several things are surrounding him, sort of moving all around him in the tree stand and stuff is beginning to get thrown at him, you know, quite frequently sticks, rocks, things, and he has no idea what this is, who this is, he can't see anything up in the tree stand and whatever this is, it's covered behind heavy woods and he's sort of freaking now because he almost feels like he's under attack and whatever these things were in the woods, they were just kind of moving around him and throwing things and he said it picked up and it got even more crazier because more stuff was being thrown and he proceeded to hear the same screams again these sort of loud vocalizations all around him and that's when he decided to take his firearm and fire it up in the air a couple times to try and deter and scare whatever this was that was throwing sticks and stuff at him so he does that a couple times and then he hears sort of almost like the faint distance of the, whatever this these objects these things were move away from him up in the tree stand and he says, you know, all right, this is my time to get down from the tree stand and get out of here back to camp. So he runs down, climbs down the tree stand, gets to the bottom. And he starts running towards camp. And behind him, he said he could hear like just something coming through like a rhino breaking trees and branches. You know, if there was a rhino behind him. This is what it sounded like, like it was stampeding towards him, coming up behind him. And he said, you know, he kept kept firing shots in the air to try and deter this, whatever it was. And he ran as fast as he could, finally makes it back to camp and gets into the camp, runs inside. And all the other hunters are there inside the camp in the in the cabin. And they say, what happened to you? You look like uh, you had a hell of a night. And he says, you know, he tells, goes on to tell him what happened to him. And two of the hunters that, hey, this was like a regular place for them. And this was kind of like their domain kind of laughed and said, oh, you met the Bigfoot then. And he said, what do you mean? And they said, well, this, it's known that this area is home to several Bigfoot creatures and a lot of us hunters have experienced or encountered them. This is sort of like their territory and and we kind of encroach on it when we come here and hunt but several hunters have told similar stories to you where they 
throw sticks, they throw rocks. This is their area. And um, like they didn't seem all that surprised as what had happened. And he said, I never will go back to that area again to hunt because it terrified me that badly. And he said, you know, I've been out in the woods so many times and never had anything remotely close to that happen to me. And um, he's a pretty reliable friend. So when he tells you something, you believe it. He doesn't make stories. Though. He's not a storyteller. So, you know, that was just sort of another interesting story about encounters that have been happening out in the woods for years and years and years that you don't necessarily hear about. Moving on, as I said um, a couple days ago, we spent a night at possibly the most haunted house in America. Now, the Lent Mansion has sort of this sadness lingering over it. And you'll, you'll understand here in a minute. There's never been a place that I've been to before that has had more suicides per square footage than any other place in America. And I mean, every room that you go to in this place, someone has potentially taken their own life. Which, that is terrifying enough to, to know that. And not only that, there's been several other murders and deaths that have occurred in this spot. And you can't go to a single place, like I said, in this house without being in an area where someone has died. Now, I, uh, I'll post a link down below in the description. If you get a chance, check it out. It's on my YouTube page. A video of our overnight stay at the Lent Mansion. Now, the Lent Mansion, as I said, has had eight... I'm, I'm saying eight suicides that are documented that have occurred at this home. And on, on top of that, there's been countless murders and deaths that have also occurred there. Now, the interesting thing about this, like I said, is to how many people have taken their life. And out of those eight suicides, five of those... We're all family members, uh, family of the limps. So it all starts out, right? The limp mansion. Previous owners had lived there. But the story kind of starts out when William Limp Sr. buys the limp mansion. He is the king of beers during the early 1900s. Limp beer was the number one selling beer at the time. But then prohibition occurred and caused them to shut down uh, the Limp Brewery. And so here's a man who just sort of lost everything, lost his status, lost his business to prohibition. And he's already prone to depression in the family. So he becomes depressed and he takes his own life. In the William Limp Suite. Where 
we actually stayed the night. The room which we stayed the night in, I should say. And then his son, uh, Charles, takes over, right? And I'm sorry, no, 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 no. Uh, William takes over. William Jr. takes over for him and moves to the Limp Mansion where he takes his own life in his office. And then you have Charles Limp who then moves into the home and proceeds to take his dog's life and then his own life in his bedroom, which is now an area known as the bar in the Lint Mansion. Then his daughter, Elsa, proceeds to take her life in the Elsa suite, which is on the third floor, in her own bed. And all of them died by gunshot wounds to the head. You have other suicides that occur at this place. Um, but during the 60s, this place becomes a boarding house to a bunch of unsavory characters in a bad part of town. And this area was very bad during the 60s and the 70s while this was a boarding house. And so you have a lot of murders, a lot of deaths, a lot of questionable things that happened in this home during that time. And then the previous owners by the Lint Mansion who or the current owners, I should say, bought the Lint Mansion, who own it to this day. And there happened to be one resident who remained from the when it was a boarding house. It was an 80-year-old woman with the, um, and I believe, I want to say, her name was Tessa. And... She had lived what in the room that is currently the bar now in the Lint Mansion. And they basically, she had been there for so long, they didn't want to just kick her out when they bought the property. So they figured soon she would probably pass anyways. So they wanted to wait it out and just let her stay there because uh, they're very nice people. And she lives there for several years. And they do their first wedding at the Lent Mansion. And in preparation for this, they buy over a hundred cases of champagne, which they store inside the mansion. At some point in time, they have the wedding. They didn't need a hundred cases. I think they only use like 40 cases or, or maybe, maybe a couple cases. I, I don't even really know. But for several weeks, they don't hear from Tessa. So they decide to go and check on her in her room, in, in her room there at the Lint Mansion, which is the bar now. And when they go to this area where she's staying, they find her dead. And in the room, they find several cases of the champagne that they had bought. She had basically drunk herself to death and essentially committed suicide by drinking. And that's, you know, one of the many stories of things that, of deaths that have occurred in this home. They're very strange, very odd. It seems like there's something about 
depression and suicide that occurs in this room. And it seems like more specifically in certain rooms specific that people get depressed, they get sad. And when you go in there, you kind of feel that sadness that is hanging over the place. Now, when we got there, it was uh, Sunday night. We arrived, we checked in. And immediately when you get into this place, You'll understand what I'm talking about if you've ever been there. You instantly feel something happened here. You know, you can tell something's off. Something's not right. And when you go and walk around this place, you just get an uneasy feeling. You get very uncomfortable. And that's kind of the feeling we had for the first part of the night. Now... We got to go down to the bar and talk to some of the employees. And we were just kind of hanging out. And they were really nice, very accommodating. And one of the things I noticed is there was a girl who's working there. And she comes in to and tells another employee, Hey, will you come with me while I mop the floor? Uh, because I'm kind of scared. And you could tell that the employees there, as it turned nightfall, they begin getting visibly scared and they seem very terrified like something happens at night and they didn't want to be there and you could tell just just the energy had changed at nighttime and that's when i started noticing the energy did feel differently in the whole home it became like a different place and throughout the night it just seemed like every room you went into, there were whispers, there were sounds. It sounded like people talking. You could hear shuffling. You could hear people walking around. Out of the corner of the eye, you could see shadows moving across the room. You could, you know, almost feel like someone was standing behind you or in the room with you. You felt cold spots. Uh, during the investigation, we were downstairs. And I perform something that I, I do sometimes when I'm on investigations. I sat down a wine glass down in the basement. And that's where a lot of activity seemed. Down in the basement seemed like the scariest place. And we were down in the basement, me and uh, three other people, or no, four other people, I should say. Um, and I took a wine glass and I set it on a table. And I said, if you're here with us right now, can you move this wine glass? You know, and I started asking for the names of people that had once lived there and died there. And the wine glass didn't move. So I said, okay, you know, sometimes this doesn't work. But then I started hearing the group of people that I was with saying, look at this, look at this, you know. And we look over in the corner where there was all these wine glasses hanging up on the wall on a shelf. And all the wine glasses were moving and dangling. And you could hear them tinging against one another. And I actually caught that on video. I recorded these glasses actually moving by themselves. So there was a direct, not only an answer to my response, but a huge answer in which all the glasses were moving. And then at some point in time in the night, I think it was around 12.05, 1206. After 12 o'clock is when things really started to, to happen. And between 12 and 3, it was just very uneasy, very scary. 
very terrifying. It seemed like things were just happening left and right too much to actually keep track of. But we were downstairs in the basement and myself and one other person, we heard a voice say clearly, hi. And it clearly said, hi. And I mean, without a date, it was like it was standing right next to us and a person full, you know, full volume said, hi. And we both heard it. And before I said anything, I said, what did you, did you hear that? And they said, yeah. And I said, what did you hear? And they said, it sounded like someone said, hi, like they were right next to us. And I'm like, that's exactly what I heard. And that put, I got goosebumps after I heard that because it was so loud and defined that it's hard to believe. And you'll actually see that if you watch the video of us being there overnight. And then after that, several times we heard voices and like people talking, almost like uh, people were having a party. Uh, well, you know, that's... Uh, it's interesting because it seems like down in the basement, we're just getting a lot of activity. And that's when we kind of followed like these sounds and voices coming towards this area where it was like a wine cellar. And I open up the door to the wine cellar and there's like a door there and you go in there and it's just, you feel very uncomfortable in there, a heavy pressure. And we could see like, um, something kind of moving around in there and then I shined a light in there and you didn't see it anymore and it was like when you turned the light off you'd see stuff moving and that was very common in the basement you'd have your flashlight off and you would see like something was moving around and when you would try and put your flashlight on whatever was moving it would just you know nothing was there you wouldn't see anything but it was only like when you'd have the light off that's when you'd start seeing like what looked like people walking around in the dark and it almost sounded to me like something was trapped in the cellar like something was moving around shuffling trying to get out of the cellar and that that was the feeling that all of us got that night uh another occurrence we was upstairs on the first floor and i felt like something had like a dog because I have dogs and it felt like a dog rubbed up against my leg and kind of put pressure on my leg like it was leaning up against my leg and it felt just like a dog and I looked down nothing was there and all of a sudden we hear like a, a dog sort of whimpering sound and we all were like that that was a dog that that was a dog whimpering and one of the people that were with us actually took a photo and they caught sort of this misty form that only was to the ground through the, it was coming through a doorway and it was only about two feet tall, but it looked like the shape of a dog. And we thought perhaps this was Charles Lim's dog who he had killed before he killed himself, uh, moving through the house. And it, it was just, um, you know, eerie how it felt like that dog was around the whole home and you would experience in different areas but the interesting thing like i said is just that every room 
it felt like someone was in that room with you. You would hear shuffling. You would hear voices. You would hear people whispering. And some of this, you know, is even documented. I think if you watch the video that I posted here on YouTube, you can hear some of it, of the, the talks, the whispers throughout the video. And it's like, that's how it was just all night long. And I've never been to a place where there's just so much activity happening continuously. And I have to say, without a doubt, out of some of the haunted locations that we've been at, that to me is probably one of the most haunted houses in America that I've ever been to, that I've ever experienced. And I could say that without a doubt. So, obviously, if you've watched the news, then you know what's happening with Ukraine and uh, the Russian invasion into Ukraine. But, you know, as I started following this story, a lot of things didn't add up. They didn't make sense to me. You know, for instance, why was Russia building troops, amassing troops along the border of Ukraine for weeks, if not months, and giving away their MO. You knew we knew that this invasion was going to happen months ago. You know, we were told it was going to happen. It wasn't unexpected. And it's like, why would you do that? Why would you give, you know, a heads up of what you're going to do? Give them time to prepare. It just doesn't seem construed with, uh, with um, wartime maneuvers. It doesn't. Why would you give them your MO? doesn't that that part doesn't just doesn't add up to me and the fact that as you see sort of this war unfold you know the russian military is pretty strong pretty powerful and has a lot of people but it's almost like they have no idea what's going on because i've been seeing videos and reports of the, the fact that like there's been tanks that have ran out of gas soldiers that have been lost uh, they've been dropping paratroopers into ukraine into kiev into this capital city and it's like they're dropping them down right into ukrainian patrols where they just get captured which doesn't make sense. You're telling me they're not planning this out. They're not strategizing. It seems almost like there's no strategy in place. And given that Russia is such a powerful force, the fact that they've been pretty much quelled off and pushed off and held off for this long is amazing in itself. But it just seems like the soldiers have no idea what's going on. And I've been seeing videos about the soldiers being captured where they're saying they didn't even know what was going on. They didn't know there was an evasion. They thought they were doing a training exercise. They had no clue there was an actual war going on, which doesn't really make sense. Why would they say that? Like, why would all these people that are being captured say that? It just doesn't add up. And... You know, there's just a lot of inconsistencies that don't make sense about this war. And it feels very eerie as to how it's kind of playing out. And if you didn't see on the news the other day, uh, the Chernobyl plant, you know, which had that great disaster, I think in the 70s, 80s, right? In which that power plant imploded, exploded, whatever. 
and um, leaked radiation out and basically made this area unlivable. And it was a huge disaster. Uh, for some reason, the Russians seemed very interested in taking this area. And they've actually captured it from my understanding. But why would you want to capture a radioactive wasteland? You know, it's not a functional power plant. There's nothing going on there except for you know, radioactive material still present in the area. I've told that certain parts of it, you can't even stay for long periods of time because the, the radioactivity is so high. So why then would Russia be so interested in Chernobyl? And I've often speculated that there was something more to the Chernobyl disaster. That perhaps the... Chernobyl disaster wasn't a disaster per, per se, wasn't an accident, but I always thought that there could have been some sort of UFO intervention, that perhaps UFOs were somewhat involved. And we know in that area there's been a lot of UFO activity in Ukraine and Russia, in that generalized area. We've seen lots of reports of UFOs, UFO activity. In fact, we know that there was a large uh, crash, you know, they call it the Russian Roswell. Uh, and, you know, the Tungska, I think I'm saying it right, the Tungska explosion, which happened in Russia, you know, not too far from there in Ukraine. And several weird incidents that have occurred in that area. And I've often speculated that did UFOs have some significant play into what happened there at Chernobyl? And there are workers there who reported that they seen strange lights in the sky that night that the Chernobyl accident took place and that the, the, the um, sort of plant shut down. And that still to this day, you can see a lot of strange lights and orbs that appear around that area. So is there some sort of supernatural force that was at play in that area? And this is the reason that Russia is so interested in it. And could this be the reason for the whole war? That more specifically they wanted to get to uh, simply the power plant. And that's why they're not fighting a real war. They've kind of just put focus on Chernobyl. And that, that's made me wonder, like, is there some sort of did, did a UFO potentially crash there? Is there something hidden there? You know, think about it. Would something like that, you know, that happened at Chernobyl, could that be a cover story to keep people out of that area because something happened there? And perhaps, think about it. What if maybe it's not this power plant that caused the radioactivity? What if it was some sort of, uh, you know, UFO craft that had crashed and made this area unlivable and created large areas of radiation. It just seemed very odd to me that there would be such interest. I don't know what you think. I'd like to hear your input. I'd like to hear what you think. But I think to me, really, this whole war just doesn't add up. It just doesn't make sense to me because... It seems to me 
like this is very unplanned, not well organized. It just seems very strange that it's happening in the way it is. And what what is the purpose, you know? Why would you attack a country at Ukraine just for, for them wanting to join the NATO, you know, for to be in NATO or for strategic purposes? It doesn't make sense. It's a lot to give up, a lot to risk for simply those reasonings. So, you know, perhaps you have a theory. You know, comment down below. Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear it. But I just find that very interesting. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Parahan. And once again, we will try and do more shows like this. Keep you updated on current events and stories in the paranormal. And uh, if you haven't already, please, like I said, like and subscribe. Definitely could use your support. And thank you once again for listening so much. Have an awesome weekend. Peace out.